Hello, Blenders. On this week's episode, we have the Army of the Dead trailer. We talk F9, and we have Ben Wheatley on the show discussing his new film, In the Earth. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blunders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 160 of Real Blend, a podcast that needs to borrow a few bucks so that we can buy the Cinerama Dome, please. My name is Sean O'Connell. The managing editor here at Cinema Blend uh, and one of the co-hosts of the Roblin podcast. I missed you guys last week. We'll get into that in a heartbeat uh, on this week's show. The Army of the Dead trailer. Zack Snyder films that are not set in the DC universe. Uh, in the Earth review, we're going to be talking about a new micro-budget horror film coming from director Ben Wheatley. And we have Ben Wheatley joining the show. Uh, the show that's co-hosted every single week by myself, as I mentioned, and Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev. How are you? Sean, good to see you. I missed you last week as well. I, 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 uh, I'm glad that you were able to have some time with your family and take your kid on a college tour. So uh, we did miss you, but your real boys are back this week, right? It's highly unusual listening to the show uh, and hearing you guys do all the fun things that we get to do every single week. Because Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago led the show and had a very funny joke. Hi, Jake. I It was pointed out to me, and now I can't unhear it. Oh, no. That... I used my anchor voice when ho- when hosting the show. Yeah, and I went back and listened after it was pointed out to me by uh, one of my one of my best friends, one of our loyal listeners, Chase. And oh. he, I think he said like like well, I don't know how to handle this episode <laughs> because I think I, I very much used my like hello blenders and welcome well, you know and I I went back and tried to listen. I was like oh my god I I didn't talk normally the entire episode. Yeah, I used my TV voice. The only weird part was when you said coming up next on Fox Thirty Two is is this, is this story. I was like, I was like, where, where is that? I, I mean, from? I, know, I know how to tease. I do know how to how to write a good tease. But uh, but I I got to tell you, Sean, and I, I said this to the boys multiple times while we were recording everything last week. It really does give me a new appreciation for what you do on this show every week and how difficult it is, uh, or maybe difficult is the wrong word. Definitely not easy. It is to to keep moving this show along. Because there are multiple moments I would try to move us on to the next topic. And maybe maybe oh. this is appreciating G- Gabe a little bit, too. Yes. Where I would try to, like, move us on to the next topic. 
And, uh, you know, I, I would get, well, okay, really quick, really quick, really quick from both of the guys, from both yeah. of the guys. Oh, well, Gabe, at least Gabe, say hello. Uh, also. Hello. Hello. Uh, it, you were chiming in and you were now the guilty party of like keeping the conversation. Oh, sort yeah. Of no, I was, I was filling. So Kevin was filling in for me. I was filling in for Kevin. Yes. Mm-hmm. I just kept the train rolling. And then the thing was, was really I funny. really wanted to like do this, but I know that we record the show for YouTube, so I didn't want to spend the whole time like <laughs> kind of just like <laughs> So we had no very... Also, we, a... we got to let people know when we when we got off from recording, uh we removed Sean from the text thread, which was which was was, was a big moment. <laughs> funny enough, like jo- jokingly though, like we were we were all texting like, "Okay, all right, Sean, you're out of the show and now Gabe's taking over." And like Gabe literally removed Sean from the thread. And I'm like, "Wait." I was, I was like, this, and Sean's out there like in, in going through colleges with his own son. He like he just looked down at his phone and he's been removed from the real like, real blend brothers text thread. Uh, did you even notice that you were removed or did, did no. you come back to oh, it some that point? joke didn't land? That's no, what I was wondering. Oh, no, I, was I felt bad. I fe- it was more for you, make you guys laugh. I was. Oh, it was hard. It was good. Time. It was funny, but I was wondering was Sean. I, I had a feeling Sean was going to miss it because by the time he got back to his phone, he was already added back into the group. So I, I don't even know if you missed any messages or not. So I did blow it at one point. I wanted to take a screen grab of like there was a, like a hundred and something messages yeah. back and forth mm-hmm. between something, and then I like opened it, and then they went away. Yeah, it's too late. All right. Anyway, if you're watching us on YouTube, hello. Good to see you guys. Go down, hit subscribe, turn on your notifications. Uh, if you're listening to us where you get your audio podcast needs, head to the uh, description down below. It'll tell you where you can um, head over to the YouTube page and subscribe to our channel. We're over 3,100 subscribers. Is that right? We're over 3,000 yeah. at the very yes. least. So thank you for building up that army. Uh, that's been helped by having a lot of really great guests who have come on board. Uh, and of course, we have the Real Blend Premium, which gives you a new episode on uh, every Monday and a ad-free experience with your Real Blend weekly podcast. You can go to bit.ly backslash Real Blend Premium. Real Blend Premium. You're right, Jake. That is hard to say. Uh, to sign up for that service and hopefully you guys will uh, we're gonna have a really fun one this week we're gonna talk about stories uh for movie theaters that we really like um and we'll include some arc light love in that so the weekly poll <clears throat> so much news going on this week that i actually forgot that this was a news item that happened but the weekly poll that we set up is uh how excited are you for indiana jones 5 uh we had some casting news that we didn't get to cover on the show oh, i don't know you guys didn't get a chance to talk about that on the show uh where we had phoebe Waller Bridge uh, joined the cast as the leading lady, although we don't know her character just yet, uh, for the fifth Indiana Jones, which absolutely is moving forward, despite the fact that Harrison Ford is 78. Uh, we had a conversation about how, well, this was in the text thread, about why we're, why Harrison Ford is doing this. And is he really doing it to kind of end on a high note, possibly recognizing that Kingdom with Crystal Skull was not the film that, that he wanted it to be? I'm a little troubled because Spielberg's not in the director's seat, although I think James Mangold is a terrific filmmaker. Uh, it's going to be unusual to see anyone not named Spielberg directing an Indiana Jones film. Maybe it's the breath of fresh air that everybody, uh, that that, that franchise kind of needs. So we put it out to you guys. And uh, Jake, I'm going to give it to you. Your choices are for the how excited are you for Indiana Jones 5? Can't wait. Holding expectations. Not interested. Or there's an Indy 5. I personally would say can't wait, but okay. I would uh, say that the majority of people I'd like to think are excited, but are apprehensive, if only because of the last film. So I would say uh, a majority of people are maybe like holding out expectations. Or You are very correct. 39.6% said holding expectations. 
A whopping 30.4% said not interested as our second highest grossing one. Uh, and then can't wait with 17.5. Kev, where are you? Where would you put it? I mean, where, where do I stand personally? Personally, yes. I, I'm where our audience is. Yeah. Um, I think I, I have apprehension about one Spielberg not doing it. Two, uh, the fourth one wasn't good. Uh, it's, it's so funny. The other day I was I was upstairs and I was going through some of my Blu-rays. And I was watching some of the Back to the Future films. And I was like, that is such a perfect trilogy. Like, there's just three movies and they never went away when never went, you know, forward in the storyline. And I kind of wish the same thing happened with Indy, to be honest with you. I think that Temple of Doom Raiders and Crusade are I, I, say what you want about Temple of Doom. I still love that movie. Um, but there's three great movies and I just wish kingdom of the crystal skull never existed. I never, I wish we never saw aliens in that, in that sense. Um, I, I don't think we need another Indiana Jones. Yeah. Now that being said, Jake brings up an interesting point about Harrison Ford wanting to, uh, do one more time with the character to be able to, you know, kind of give it a good send off, not have the fourth one be like the last one he did. I just don't think we need another, uh, Indiana Jones. Now, so our viewer listeners went with the idea of we'll wait and see kind of thing, right? Essentially, yes. we're going to see. Holding That's where I'm at. Yeah. Right. That's where I'm at because I think, um, I listen, without Spielberg, it's definitely uh, a question for me. I love James Mangold, revisited Ford vs. Ferrari recently, walked the line. He's a phenomenal oh, so filmmaker, good. and I think he'll handle the franchise perfectly fine. Um, I just don't know if it's necessary. Now, we, we work in a business where it's equal parts commerce and equal parts, you know, art uh, in, the, in that sense. So uh, I think that we have to understand that this is definitely a business move, but I hope that Mangold and Ford are doing it for the story reasons. That's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm hoping for. So that's where I'm at now. I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She's, she's a great addition to the cast. I just, I'm kind of in that same boat as a, as a viewer, as listeners. Part that scares me the most about it is just that they had a release date for this and a title um, while they were still sort of like juggling screenwriters, Yeah, which doesn't say to me that they had an idea, you know, that was like, oh, well, we're going to, this is it. This is the reason why we have to do Indy 5, right? Like someone came up with an idea. They were like, let's do Indy 5. And then who has an idea for it? Like it's kind of reverse engineered. So, But um, in a weird way, doesn't harrison ford's age dictate what the story can and cannot be because 100 because yeah. you know what a, a big reason that aside from george lucas's involvement uh that aliens in area 51 was you know the the story of king of kingdom of the crystal skull it's that's kind of a little bit of like what the conversation was yeah. around that time and so i'd imagine that as ford has gotten older which dictates when the movie has to take place. I think I think someone did the math, and at this point, aren't they saying like the like in the seventies? Yeah, that's so kind of crazy. That, which is weird. The idea. So pretty soon, Indiana Jones will be able to see Star Wars. It's kind of crazy. But just the idea. So so I think that's also an interesting thing too. Is that like that the the story is ever evolving depending on how old Harrison Ford is. I think yes. my concern is. He and, and they touched on it, but not as much as I would have liked them to. They have to address how old he is mm. because he I felt like one of my biggest complaints about Crystal Skull wasn't that, you know, aside from the aliens and everything. But like you have Harrison who can just who can barely run, to be honest with you, like he's always been an awkward runner. And then you multiply that awkward run by age and then you cut to 
a stunt double swinging <laughs> on his whip, like something yeah. that like a 30 year old could barely do. And it yeah. was just so jarring. And there were a couple of jokes about his age and stuff like that. But I feel like they really have to straight up just be honest and go like, look, we know he's 80 and that's kind of a part of the story. I just, okay. I just don't know if this is a good idea. I, I, I just don't know if I want this. What's the worst that could happen? I mean, it could make a bad movie. Yeah, but then, but at least, don't you want to see him one more time and hear that theme? And John Williams is coming back. That is I'm cool. All... Question right. that uh, it, it comes out of nowhere. I have no reason to believe this, but is a fun, fun thing to speculate. How yeah. much do you think the pedigree of Logan? either is going to influence Mangold's Love direction or idea. influence the hiring of Mangold for this kind of, Love. what I assume would be a sunsetting story. He's going to impale Indy on a tree branch? I don't know, but it? I just mean like, how and much do you think? And, and, and as like a little girl walks away, she's going to hang the fedora on but the you know how you know how producers think. I, again, like I said, this is <laughs> no, kind of sure. about, But you know how producers think and how much were people like, you know, he really put in a finite or a, a yeah. fine point on the end of Wolverine storyline. Okay. We want Mangold yeah. to do that for us within Indy. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he has some really great, so, great way to do terrible. that. Is Indy going to die in this one? I don't think Disney would. I don't think Disney would let him do it. I mean, no, they I killed Han Solo. I don't, think, I don't think he dies. They I think, killed I think Han Solo. He gets, no, I know. What I hate about it is that he legitimately has a ride off into the sunset yeah. scene. Like, you don't script a better ending for a franchise. And then they just, came back. But maybe it's going to be a franchise where we can all universally agree that the odd number of films are great and the even number one suck. But Temple of Doom's amazing, so Temple it doesn't work. You're mispronouncing Temple the word Doom sucks. Incredible. No, Temple, Temple of Doom's, Doom's great. Fantastic. Might be my favorite. Yeah, it's it's, I will agree opening. that Temple of Doom is more Kingdom of the Crystal Skull than it is Raiders, but it's still great. The fact that you think that that's the best opening... I think Temple of Doom. I think I think Nuke Fridge is better than the opening of Temple of Doom. No, the musical. No I think the Anything Goes opening from Temple of Doom is horrible. And that's amazing. It's literally in a club named after a Star Wars character, and I do not. It goes Boulder, Young Indy, Nuked Fridge. As soon as he brings Star Wars into it, I check out. It's all right. No, I'm saying because it's called Club Obi Wan. Yeah, who cares? Nothing in Crystal Skull is better than Temple of Doom. Yes, true. Nothing is better than nothing. There is no memorable scene from Crystal Skull. (laughs) Okay, there are moments of Crystal Skull. That moment where they kind of they're in the warehouse and they knock into one of the boxes and it shows like the 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 Ark Ark of the Covenant. Like that's that's fun. Lazy. You're lazy. I'm I'm a little I'm a little strange because well you guys know that already but I'm a little strange <laughs> in the sense that I think Crusade's the best one um, and I've said that before. That's a great but, and also the chemistry between him and and Connery is just right. Nothing wrong with it's, that. It's kind of the reason why I love Die Hard three the most as well because it's I, I like I like those team ups and those those, those partnerships and like you know and I think we discussed this in our premium episode last week about like kind of like action movies buddy cop action movies and things like that. But Temple of Doom, for me, hands down, out of the trilogy, has my favorite opening. And I just love that tr- I love that movie. I just, now that we're talking about it and going more and more in discussion, I'm starting to go more towards the other way on this. I'm like, I don't know if we need this movie. I really, I, I, I'm a fan of this. I love John Williams, love Mangold, love Ford. You know, I think, I think you this can is a bad choose, idea. You can choose not interested and know that you're, you're still going to see it. Like, of course, of course. you're going to see it. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that you're like, you might not even get excited. 
you know, as it's coming I, I, up. I, I have a question for you guys. And this is a genuine question. I'm not trying to like, because you guys are Temple of Doom fans. Yes. Why is Temple of Doom a prequel to we're Raiders? Called, like was, We're called Doomers. Okay. Right. <laughs> Temple of Doomers. Uh, why, Doomers. Is, why is Doom a prequel? Like, why did, why did they decide that that's the direction they wanted to go? Because Temple mm. of Doom takes place before Raiders of the Lost Ark. It does. Um, but Ooh. I don't know why. I'm curious as to why. I'm sure there's know. an answer out there. I just... I'm Maybe sure there's. there's... I'm sure it's a quick Google away. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, like, I really also, don't know. Temple of Doom has some of my favorite action scenes in this in oh, the in the franchise. Temple of Doom is great. Yeah, it's a the, the mine car chase fight at the end is unbelievably oh. great. I still, I, I will say this. I know we have to move on, and we and we all, everyone, I think knows this already. But the PG thirteen rating was created because of that film. Essentially, <laughs> that was one of the right, and that heart scene is still brutal. Like it's it brutal. still holds also, up. Also, like, I don't like short round. Oh, I like short round. Well, now you're crazy. I like short you're just round. Crazy. What, you're, try to tell me that Mutt Lang or Mutt, whatever his last name is, is a better uh, character than short round. No, Wait, no. Please try to say that. See, no. are you for me growing up, short round. I was short round. Like for me, like short round was like who I identified you're with. You actually of, like, wearing right a Yankee, down to the Yankee right cap. Yeah. 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 Yankee cap. Wait, Jake, <laughs> are you saying that Crystal Skull is better than Temple of Doom? No, no, Jesus stop Christ. it. Throw to the interview, please. Let's get out of here. Okay. Let's get out of here before they cancel our show. On this week's episode, uh, we have... <laughs> Jake is seriously thinking about this. Director Ben Wheatley, who uh, people know from such amazing films as High Rise, and he'd recently directed the Rebecca remake with um, Army Hammer. Uh, we didn't... We did not get into Army Hammer in this conversation, but we did talk about this is a uh, a micro budget horror film that I uh, mentioned earlier in the film, uh, in the in the podcast that he wrote in 15 days while he was in quarantine, and it's very much reflective of that. Uh, we can you can listen to this without having seen it. We don't get into any kind of spoilers. Uh, it's a film that Neon is putting out very soon. Again, it's called In the Earth. Uh, and so, without further ado, Ben Wheatley on the Roblin Podcast. How you doing, Ben? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to join the Real Blend podcast. We are thrilled to have you on to talk about this crazy film. Um, it kind of had the the Jaws effect for me in that I'm fairly certain I'm never going to go into the woods again <laughs> uh, after having watched this. I'm curious if you are the type of person who viewed the woods or forests as ominous places before even starting down this path. Yes, absolutely. Um, from... I mean, when I was a little kid, we lived next to woods and I've I've had reoccurring nightmares about woods. I mean, you know, I'm happy as anyone to walk around in the woods. I'm not afraid. I'm not like a, a city person who's like, no, you know, that that side of it. I think the the kind of actual physical woodland thing is not a problem, but the the, the metaphoric kind of um, space that it has in my head, I am afraid of. Yeah. But then to that extent, does it make for a difficult shoot? because you're immersed in it constantly like the day ends and you're still there yeah but i've made films about people shooting each other in warehouses and that and i, and I don't get terrified about warehouses you know what i mean <laughs> um is this an idea like did you have the concept of this idea for a long time or did, was it truly something that was birthed out of out of being in quarantine for a while yeah it was like the second second week basically of the lockdown in the uk i started writing it and I think it's, you know, I, I I looked at all the scripts I'd written up until that point and I thought that kind of like drew a line in the sand and like, you know, mourned their passing, but they were they were gone, you know, and it was a new reality. So I kind of, and I did it as a sort of like a therapy thing to start with of, of like something to do. Um, 
just to kind of get my um to make myself feel a bit more alive you know a bit more useful so i really it was weird that first week i almost felt like that was it you know i was retired or something and that was the end of i'll never work again kind of thing or that the industry was completely a wasteland but um but yeah and then i just did it as a, as a thing of, of trying to work out what i was feeling you know and it, it kind of went from there have those fears about the industry sort of faded away or do you still hold on to them a little bit because i think we're all sort of in a period where we're figuring out how to move forward yeah well the industry itself is has been in a tailspin since it was invented you know it's from <laughs> from crisis to crisis you know and yeah. so I, you know you always take the the end of cinema with a with a pinch of salt um but yeah i mean it's particularly difficult but it but then it, the story this story is moving very very quickly isn't it it's it's changing and mutating all the time in terms of what's going to happen i mean who knows what will you know how the cinema audiences will return they seem to be getting stronger as it goes on in the last couple of weeks and mm -hmm. that's exciting and you know and maybe it's like a a clean slate for everybody and they come back with a different set of expectations of what they want to watch and you know it's a restart or not or maybe it's something completely different i don't know yet well there's a line in the film that sort of hit me where they're with they say like we are going to forget what happened and we're just going to go back to our our norms and i i do sort of wonder like how how close we're going to be getting back to that and whether we'll be able to just sort of embrace the way things used to be. Yeah. I mean, I think after the Spanish flu, there was 10 years of, of um, upheaval, wasn't there before things kind of settled down. So I think that it, you just don't know. You just don't know how it's going to, what, what's going to happen really. What was the reaction to the creatives that you pulled in to work with you on this project? Were they all still chomping at the bit and trying to like, just waiting for the next project to come around? Yeah, well, everyone had been stood down, you know, it'd been four months of nothing and everybody's projects had been cancelled. Everything had stopped. It was an incredible thing like that. But that first week, remember that kind of hearing about the, that it was going into lockdown on the Friday and just every all every future was kind of dimmed and turned off. And so that so when I got in contact with people about making this, people were, you know, there was almost like concern about are we going to be too, have we become too enfeebled to actually do the physical work of <laughs> lumping <laughs> boxes around and stuff and, and, you know, doing a, doing a proper job that's not painting the kitchen or just looking out the window, you know? Right, right, right. And what about some of the cautions of, of being a, a story that is not that, not that you're commenting, commenting on, you know, either the COVID disease or, or the, the idea of quarantine, but like dancing close enough to it that you're, you want to be timely, but you don't want to be dated kind of thing. How did you wrestle with that? Well, I'd, I'd made a film before um, called um, Happy New Year, Colin Bursted, which was, which was very time sensitive. And, but in a way, all the other movies have been, been as well, you know, Kill This certainly was. And, um, it was about that moment and the economic crash at the time. And, you know, so I think that I think that my instinct is always to make stuff that's in the moment. I mean, it's a particularly heavy moment at the moment, <laughs> but it was kind of it. But it wasn't an unusual thing. You know, I, over the last three or four years, I've made films that in between the kind of larger budget things, which are a bit more nimble and about what was going on in the at the time. So it, it wasn't it wasn't that odd. I mean, and also it it's not specifically about COVID. So it isn't, it doesn't have that thing of kind of piggybacking onto COVID in a way, but it's more, I always thought about it. It's just something that's set now, you know, that it's just contemporary. You know? mm -hmm. 
I made the mistake of um trying to eat while watching the film. Mm. <laughs> uh, I realized about an hour and that was a mistake. Uh, I would like for you to, if you could, just talk a little bit about some of the prosthetic work that goes into uh, Joel Fry, your, your leading man. Um, his foot goes through the ringer. Let's just put it that way. Because <laughs> uh, I want to protect some of the secrets. But you you do some extremely credible, uh, what I will call back backyard um, surgery, let's say. Yeah, I mean, it... it it's I think it's like the fourth or fifth film I've worked with Dan Martin, who's the prosthetics um designer um on this on this film. And he's and he also did Possessor um more recently and um Colour Out of Space as well. He worked on that as well. So he's a he's a he's a an amazing um technician and an artist. And and I kind of I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed prosthetic work, you know, and just to see people in the on set just going oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and the un the uncanny valleyness of it all of just seeing these things you know they, they look absolutely real these things i mean absolutely real and then you touch it and you go oh maybe it's not but you you, you you find it very difficult your brain there's a total distance between your brain and your eyes you know when you see the effects work what about for your actor though <laughs> what kind of situation does it put him in well i mean as a technical role for Joel Fry, the performance of pain is really hard because you've got obviously you've got to look at the the range of pain across a film. You know you don't want to peak too early with your pain. It's like how do you know? And all these things, it's like so easy to write on the plastic piano. You know you kind of going like this and you write this stuff, and then yeah. someone has got to someone's got to interpret it. And I was just you know that was just an incredible joy watching him work it out you know and and you just i find that i've got, have a real problem on set which is like a kind of weird empathy thing of like you see people who are like have injuries on them or are acting like they're in pain and you kind of naturally go oh god oh maybe maybe we shouldn't carry on and, <laughs> and it's like so you have to kind of or you end up doing less takes than you'd want to because you're worried that they're hurt or something so there is a there's a weird line there but then i guess that's because it's working you know Yes, absolutely. And you're trying to get the best out of him from a, from what he needs for that that part of the story. So yeah. uh, there's a lot of trust, actually, too, that he has to put into new characters that he meets along the way. Uh, and I found that to be something that sort of kept the audience off guard. Can you talk about um, your decisions about how to parcel off? There's a lot of mysteries being told in the in the story and the audience is frequently questioning, you know, what we're seeing and, and what we can trust uh, can you talk a bit about how you decided over the course of the story to sort of parcel out what was going to be coming next? Yeah, I mean, I think the trust thing is we did wrestle with it a bit in the script of going, oh, you know, would you would you trust someone that you met in the woods, blah, 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 you know. But the problem is, is that it, that it it's pragmatism most of the time. It's like if you're you take very small baby steps towards very bad decisions quite readily when you're hungry or that you or you're or vulnerable in some way or another so I, I looked and thought you know you know and, the, and Joel Fry's character is mainly based on me in terms of the level of uselessness and cowardice that he displays you know throughout the thing I think what would I do in these situations yes I would do whatever I was told to get out of this situation whatever it was and if someone suggested they were going to do something that something needed surgery I would be I wouldn't put up any kind of a fight you know and I think it, it that it's only in movies that people are so um, gung ho or so um, aware of their own, 
situation that they will fight back i think you know and i've seen it in in actual situations in fights in pubs and in um on the street and stuff and people become very supplicant very quickly when confronted with violence or or, or anyone who's like slightly convincing you know and they'll do anything you know so i think that that side of it was that was the thinking behind it basically is he one of the first characters you've written that that closely mirrors yourself or do you try to put a little bit of yourself into each of your characters i don't think you have any choice you, are, you 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 try not to is what the plan is so that they're not they don't all speak with the same voice but inevitably they become the same person once you've got a bit of distance from them i guess that makes sense as well too um though i have a technical question for you we are the technical podcast that really likes to dive into the the gimmicks of filmmaking and the tricks of filmmaking and you do something that was truly incredible from a visual standpoint um of, of using a strobe light uh effect and i won't talk about uh, the context of it but you get striking images um, when shooting into a strobe light effect, and and it do, you don't lose any clarity, you don't lose any uh, depth of focus. I'm really truly curious, like how that works. How are you able to shoot into strobe light and not have it distort the image that you're trying to capture? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, a strobe light itself is a is a photographic tool for fashion photography, isn't it? kind of so and concerts but mainly it comes from like the the strobe lights all being connected together and then used to 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 fire instantaneously when you take a photograph instead of having to completely fill your studio with light so you know that you set the exposure to somewhere that's close to what the the strobe light is and then everything else is slightly darker so that's the way you, you can control them but i mean we did things inside the editing where sometimes they're in some in long sequences, there's flash frames of um, in, images on every cut, so um, that join the whole sequence together, which you don't necessarily notice on first viewing. Um, and then we started finding that if you put like a frame of sound next to a frame of um, a flash frame, then you could immediately see it. But you could have one frame that had a noise on it, and then one that didn't right next to it, and you wouldn't see the second frame. Really, so you might you might see it on multiple viewings, depending on the on the how your eyes were blinking, um, and you probably see it more in the cinema than you would see it on your home system or on your laptop or whatever. So, so yeah, there was a lot of that. A lot of that went on, but mainly the strobes were involved in it because we, I wanted to make and the same thing with the music is that I wanted the sound and the light to be embedded into the script of the into the story of the film rather than being an effect so she dr wendell uses strobe lights to communicate with the plants which justifies them being in the film you know so then you've all of a sudden you can have them everywhere and then that's it then that becomes an aesthetic you know oh it really was i think coming out of one of the strobe light sequences too is when a character uses a flare and i thought that the 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 visual of the flare the light that it cast and the and the the smoke caught in it was so vibrant and beautiful at that point it was a really truly beautiful shot yeah, they're incredible, those flares. They're so bright. I mean, we use them to, in, on Rebecca, we use them to light stuff, light whole houses up with with flares. Um, and they're, you know, I don't know, they're 10 pounds each or something like that, and they last for ages. So they're, they're an instant kind of, um, and they come in lots of colours as well. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, you know, a lot of people are going to be looking at a film like this uh, as we try to figure out our way through um, on-set protocols and, you know, trying to figure out the right way to shoot th things and, and and changing the way the films are shot. I think you talked about when you said that you threw away some scripts or that you lamented their passing. Is that is it because you've written stuff that it's just going to be too difficult to shoot moving forward, or 
No, I think it's more to do with like a, a general shift in society of, of being, having gone through lockdown. And I think everyone's different. Everyone's changed, you know, and I think that the stories of all the ideas from the from before all feel a bit dated and everything needed to be refreshed for my own work. I don't know. I can't speak for anybody else, but um, but um, but you're right in some ways. I mean, you, you couldn't the film that we shot at the budget that we shot it, we couldn't have shot an indoor, like an intimate piece of four people or five people in rooms because of just as it was just, it was crazy expensive to do that. At that point, you have to have these kind of onset fogging machines to the antiseptic fog that clears all the, cleans all the surfaces and everything would have to be washed all the time. Whereas where if you make a film that's outdoors, then the, the um, transmission rate is virtually zero. So you can, even though we all wore masks during it and, and observe very strict protocol across the whole thing, but you're much safer outside than you would be indoors. I don't know if that's now, that's the same now, but that when we made the film, it was that. Well, I'm curious. I'm going to shift then to this point because I think I'm under the impression that you're about to go into a really big budget franchise. Are you still directing the Meg Two? Are you yeah, prepping that? Yeah. Um, is is that getting like? Do you have to get closer to the way things used to be done, or is that are you sort of adapting to the new normal as you take on a big franchise like that? I don't know. I mean, I I think that the obviously everything changes month by month. So it could be very different. It could be like no, no, nothing, or it could be everything. I don't know yet. So, but to to go back to to feel uh, to um, in the earth, the actual wearing of masks and the and the following of protocol was it wasn't that bad in the end. It was uh, we we shot as fast as we would normally shoot. It didn't impede on on production in any way. It was just a bit more, you know, that we we ended up spending quite a lot of money on PPE. But, but apart from that, it didn't seem to really affect how the film was made, which I was really relieved about because we did a test day and it was a bit like, you know, the masks were a bit much and it was all a bit claustrophobic. But when we shot the film, like that second day in didn't make any difference. It was fine. Good. I hope that continues to be the case for for both yourself and, and a ton of other artists uh, that move forward. I hope that you... Um, I hope that you can bring prosthetics to the Meg. That's the only thing I ask. Please bring more prosthetics work and, and really, really gory, gritty stuff to that. Um, I want to drill down on the concept of uh, Parnag Feg. Um, where did it come from? And and uh, specifically, who did that sketch for you? There's a terrific sketch that almost like illustrates the, the legacy of Parnag Feg. Um, where did that come uh, from? Well, the, the drawing is, well, it's like a print, but it's, um, by Richard Wells and he was I'd come across him because he did a, a poster for a field in England one of the films we made a few years ago and we saw it online and loved it and we and Andy Stark producer and I contacted Richard and said oh can we make a you know um, make some of these and give them out and stuff and he's like yeah 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 so he so that's how, that was the beginning of our relationship with him and then basically when I was writing this I thought well this post it has to be done by him really so I contacted him again and he was like oh my god yeah but he does you know he he works in props anyway so and, and does graphic design for cinema so he he, he, he knew the score um, but Parnag Feg itself is made up you know thoroughly made up by me um, and within the context of the movie there's it's kind of how made up is it um, in terms of like the world of um, uh, folks, folkloric tales is, is up for grabs, you know, it's, and that's the thing I've found like over 
looking into this stuff is like sometimes things that look like they're really old aren't that old or they're like Victorian or something like that, or they're 1850s or something, or or even the 70s, you know. And I think that that, that kind of shifting sands of, that it kind of feels like history, but it isn't history, um, was interesting. And it's like, and, and the Zach character is kind of, he's pushing this story, but how true is the story? You don't really know, you know. Um, but then at the, in, the, in the base of all stories, there's a seed of truth. And so how, you know the spirit of the woods thing maybe like a you know a big gussied up version of people interacting with what really is there you know was that the kernel of the 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 seed of the the story was it was it the the folk tale or what like i'm curious like where a character like zach comes in in the development of the story uh you know do you start with something that that builds off of the the fable and then and then you're like oh well then i need another a human element to bring in where does it where does someone like zach come in um, I can't remember. I think it was like it, the whole thing seemed to kind of come in one piece and it was a journey, you know, it's their journey into the wood, into the centre of the story, you know, mm-hmm. and like the, the, uh, the, the demarcation was it AU, AU357 or whatever the, that she says, the beginning is the actual folkloric um, reference number for the study of stories based around Hansel and Gretel. So their story is the Hansel and Gretel story, you know, they kind of, dropped into the woods and then they end up in and and zach is basically you know kind of the gingerbread house woman or like or the kind of you know a poisoner who will who will kill children and all this kind of stuff so if it's like the whole journey of it was like going through different types of horror through different types of science fiction you know um so you have this kind of maniac in the woods story and you also which is like a texas chainsaw massacre story in a way and then you have you know body horror but then you then you end up in a kind of more 70s science fiction world of like um like a like a Tom Baker Doctor Who world or a or a kind of um, Quatermassy world, you know, it, and so that that was, and I don't know, I just it was like a journey through my kind of um, my interest in horror, really. No, it's quite a ride. It's absolutely quite a ride. And and to that end, and I'll get you out of here on this one. Um, as your career progresses, I've watched you take on bigger projects and 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 take on more high profile projects, and I think that that's truly thrilling. But I love that you just went back to to your roots and told this sort of stripped down story because it it was interesting to you. Is that something that's going to be really important to you? Are you always going to try to keep a, a foot in? You know, every once in a while, I'm going to come back and just tell a stripped down basic story um, to keep your skills sharp. Yeah, for sure, and and it's I um I really love making films, so. If you make a decision that you're only going to make like high budget stuff, then you just don't make that many films. That's that's the sadness <laughs> of it, you know. And um, and I love these kinds of movies. I mean, a lot of the thing that come, how this film had come about also was like by finding paperwork about the production of Halloween and going and going. Oh wow, it's like a three week shoot or four weeks just about, but it's not that long. And the budget is comparable to the budget that we had in, in adjusted dollars and, and thinking, well, this is the bait. This is the bedrock of horror and the bedrock of a, of a lot of genre cinema. But these movies weren't like $200 million. They weren't three and a half hours long. They were, they were mean and lean and, you know, and they were, and they were done with love and, um, uh, and grit, you know, and, and and that was inspiring. And I thought, well, I'll, you know, if if we can make a masterpiece like Halloween for that, then then we should at least be able to do something all right, you know. 
That's fascinating. You kind of uh, strip down what worked about Halloween, right? And how do you get to the essence of what makes it scary? You know, it's not because they're pouring money into it. It's because they get to the core of, of what well, it's attitude, isn't it? It's attitude. It's Carpenter's attitude. And he wants to scare you and he doesn't, he, you know, he's not going to hold your hand and he's going to, you know, and I think that comes through and it comes through in all these movies in a way. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. I really appreciate your time. Have a great Excuse day. Me. Thank you. Thank you very much to Neon for giving us time with Ben Wheatley. Uh, his movie is coming out into select theaters this Friday, and we will get into a review of it later in the show. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, let's get to talking points. A lot of trailers uh, for things that are coming down the pipeline soon. We're going to start with Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. This is Zack's return to the zombie genre, although it's not connected in any way to his um, Dawn of the Dead that he released. I think that was his first film. Was Dawn of the Dead Zack Snyder's first film? I think that's correct. It was definitely his first major feature because that was 2004, I believe that was. And that was actually the first time. I mean, I'll just personally, Snyder got on my radar. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I was... It's. I was apprehensive walking into Dawn of the Dead because you know clearly Dawn of the Dead is an iconic horror film that we all know, and George Romero is a genius. And I remember leaving Dawn of the Dead going, I think that was a better film than what Romero did. And again, it wouldn't exist without Romero, so sure. you can't really. It's hard. It's a hard thing to say. But to be honest with you, I think it might have been the first time I ever heard Snyder's name. I don't know, Gabe. Did you look it, it up? It was his. It was his first uh, feature film. Okay. Mm. He did. Did he, he, he DP it? Did he DP um, Dawn of the Dead? Let me take a look. Well, he DPs this. No, um, I did not. This was the first feature he's um And this uh, is the shot. first movie he shoots on digital, too. Uh, it's for Netflix, but it's going to come to theaters uh, in May, one week before it goes to the streaming service. 
I am of the mindset that zombie movies in general are tired. Um, I don't really... I, I'm open to seeing a new zombie movie for sure, uh, but I think that they need some more of a gimmick beyond just it's a zombie movie. Uh, and Zach absolutely has an amazing gimmick here. Uh, and he's cut an incredible trailer. It's obviously, it's a casino heist film set in the middle of a zombie uh, apocalypse or a zombie breakout that has been contained to Las Vegas. Uh, I thought it looked amazing. Uh, Jakey, what did you think of it? I thought that was one of the most well-edited trailers I've seen in a long time. I mean, like, you know, Snyder is, is always known for his great song choice. Uh, beautiful song choice for the trailer. Yeah. And just when it really kicks in and just uh, like I, you know, I, for me, it's, it's, it's a sign of a good trailer when throughout the day, I'll just kind of be sitting there going, I'm going to watch it again. And I've yeah. watched it. I've watched and now granted. I don't think I watch them as often as, as, as uh, Kevin McCarthy watches them. Um, but I've, I've watched it three times already and it's just a great blend. Of, it just looks fun. It just looks like, you know, the, 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 the editing to that, that particular song. Um, and then just the action looks like a blast and it's just, there are some movies, and I, and I think to a certain degree, maybe this was like you with with uh, 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 Godzilla vs. Kong, Sean, like mm. where it's just, it, the plot is just so ridiculous where you just go like, just screw it, I'm in. I'm so yeah. in, like it's it's Ocean's, like, you know, and it's got such a great elevator pitch. It's Ocean's Eleven, like with zombies. Like, yeah. cool, I'm in, yeah. Like, yeah. like done, sold. Yeah. I also love that um, Dave Bautista is mm. uh, his main actor, but it honestly looks like a true ensemble. Like mm -hmm. everyone and all the characters that get introduced look like they have something really cool and unique and different about them. Um, I, the guy, Mat Matias, whose last name I'm, I'm not quite sure what it is. He's playing a safe cracker. Apparently, Zach loved him so much that he's he created another movie, like a prequel movie that explains who this guy is and what sets him up for this film. Uh, Kev, you're a huge Snyder fan. Where does this sort of fall on your radar in terms of your um, anticipation? Incredible. I mean, I, I was I, it's so funny because like you expect it to be good because it's Snyder and then you watch it and it's like, oh, my God, that was incredible. Like the trailer, <laughs> like Jake was saying, the editing is an unreal. And there's that there's that shot of uh Batista walking over the tables as he's like firing. I'm like, it was awesome. I, I read something and I don't know. I don't. I don't want to derail this, but one of the actors in the in the movie shot post production, and then they digitally put her into the movie. Did you hear about this? Well, they had to replace um, Cristalia. The Cristalia was a supporting actor in it. What's, and what's they, the story? Yeah, he got wrapped up in a scandal. I don't know his oh. full scandal, but it was pretty. Uh, I forget the details of it, but it was pretty bad, and Zach had to remove him. And so I think it's Tignataro who's in. Is, yeah. Or was Tignataro uh, in the movie beforehand? I forget. Uh, no, that it, sounds I right, Sean. I think, okay. Yeah. Okay. Then yes. Then she reshot his parts, and they. So she's up. composited into the shots, I basically. Think so. yeah, that is I think. honestly, I I could not no. tell. Like I no. Yeah, I, I didn't know. There, but there were just a handful of shots of her in the trailer, but. Hello, this is a director who uh, we talked to who said, I shot this in my driveway. In my driveway, right. <laughs> so right, right. he clearly has the technical skills to uh, to pull stuff like this off. I will say, but, though, Tig, though, I, I mean, she is featured pretty prominently in the trailer. I remember seeing her face show up a few times. And then, mm -hmm. and then I, I read a tweet today that she did not shoot in normal production and was added in in post. And that's why I was, like, questioning. I'm like, wait a second. That looks yeah. really good, like, compositing. Like, how did they pull that off so, like, naturally? Um that being said, though, like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a phenomenal trailer. And I think I was blown away just by just by the whole scope of it, the scale of it. It felt I mean, the whole idea of him DPing it. I feel like I, I feel like I, I could see Snyder on the set just running around with the camera 
and getting those awesome shots and like it just it felt like it had such an insane immersive energy to it but it also felt massive like there is a scale and scope of this thing that is gigantic and i was you know as the trailer continued to play out and i was more immersed into the world i'm very interested in his digital choice and i i I was wondering if that was more of just him playing around with trying to get shots more more immersive i guess it might uh, if you watch the tr- yeah go ahead i am okay. i my first thought is, i'm sure it's several reasons i'm sure you don't do something for one reason but because he was also shooting it speed is a big probably was a big factor of being able to just pick up a camera and shoot being able to just yeah. redo a take and not having to wait for things because he has to run both departments essentially mm. yeah i would imagine that was a big a big factor of just the speed and the convenience of digital especially on something <laughs> smaller john i wonder if what it's did you see on the set? netflix um, you saw the digital camera, red camera, right? I saw the red cameras. Yeah. That he was shooting. Um, uh, and the stuff that we were watching him shoot was very intimate. It was, um, in the casino that had been dressed like a zombie apocalypse, but it was an up close shot with Dave Batista. And so, um, he only, was he like kinda... handheld up? Yes. That's yeah. that. The, the, it feels very handheld. That's kind of was, was like, as the trailer opened, like I could tell I, I, in a weird way. And I don't mean this. I mean this in a, the best way possible. I felt I feel like I could feel Snyder shooting it. Yeah. And, I, and like, I know that might be like, oh, a suspension of disbelief thing or you shouldn't be taken out of the world. To me, it's part of it. Like Snyder is such a visual storyteller that I'm just kind of watching him paint his. his, his I mean, his, I feel that way. Painting. Um, yeah. Like when I watch it like a Scorsese film, like if I watch Casino or Goodfellas, like to me, like I, I know I feel like Scorsese is basically holding the camera. Right. Like, well, you know. should have put a zombie into casino. That would have been interesting. I, I would have yeah. put several of them bit. in uh, the Irishman. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh man! Oh. Yeah, and the that's shot that why we, we didn't get Scorsese on the show. <laughs> the shot that we were watching him do was Batista and someone else. I forget who it was. I think it's the girl who plays um, the wolf. Is her character? She's the one who's able to get them through the wall into Vegas. Um, they are like. In an, in a um, corridor, a very dark corridor, and they're loading up their guns, and Snyder is behind them, shooting into the casino kind of thing, uh, and they are completely shadowed, and you would just see, he kept sending zombie extras running through the casino floor, so you just see them in the background, that they are just, like, crisscrossing, zombie extras are running through the casino, as these guys are talking about how they're gonna get to the other side of the room, and kind of, like, arming up. So, Snyder was literally, like, right next to Batista you know, in the dark shadow shooting, and then they have to, like, come out of the shadow and sort of turn, and we watched them do that, like, 27 times. Did you so get way, I, I, forgive me if you posted this already, but I, I know it's it's common practice to, like, get sort of a cool posed photo on set. Did you get one from that set? Clay Enos shot a picture of us at a um, card table. Yes, and the card table has skeletons laying on it, oh. and um, and we got to like hold cards and pretend that we were playing at the casino. Oh, I love but, that! I the mean, Lord I, knows it, if I'll ever see it. I don't know if I'm ever going to see it. I was just talking to one of the other guys who was on the set uh, today, and he was like, "Have you heard anything about an embargo?" And I'm like, "I honestly think that they forgot we went. This was like October of 2019, yeah. you know." And and normally you'd hear from the studio at this point they'd have a coordinated thing, but it was Netflix, and Netflix produces so many things. But I think they probably forgot that they sent us there. So, um, by the way, Tig Nataro is actually trending on Twitter right now. Really? Uh, as as we're talking about her, yeah. Like wow. she, like if you That's go to awesome. Twitter, 
She people are like got a big following. people are just big like comedian. going crazy about her in the movie. Like like huh. they like the, uh, Netflix put a, a tweet out of her like looking awesome, and they, like, fans are just like saying they can't wait to see it because of her. So maybe that was a really interesting thing to think about. The person who was not in the original production is the uh, is the actor who's trending on Twitter right now. That's pretty cool. I will say um, a cool before we move on. In our interview with Snyder, he mentions that the the nightmare sequence at the end of his cut of Justice League. He says it feels more um, Army of the Dead. He was kind of in that mode, and he I think he said he was yeah. using that camera or that lens. Mm-hmm. And if you take this trailer and take the nightmare sequence and watch them back to back, you can uh, 100% see what he's talking about with the yeah. the way it's focused, kind of the way it's yeah. all framed and how close the, he is to everybody. Both There's a shot of a zombie in this trailer and then of the Joker in the nightmare sequence where they like walk into or lean yeah. into the focus, which I don't know if anyone cares about that. Do, yeah. I love kind of seeing that. Like if you look at, you know, the rest of justice league where he was a few years ago versus yeah. kind of the vibe that he's in now, it's kind of cool to see. Sure. And there's a name for flow. that. Ca- there's a name for that camera. Cause I saw somebody use it on social and I forget, I forget. And what it, what didn't called. Snyder tell us that, the, that he shot that justice league scene digitally. Yeah, yeah, like, like that, he, he was using finals, the lenses and everything right, yeah. from from right. Army. Yeah, well, because we couldn't get the lens from Abrams for God's sakes. No one <laughs> wouldn't go get that Star Wars <laughs> lens from him. Guys, yeah. guys, I have a question for you. Are we getting Snyder back? Yes, I think we'll. De- I think we're definitely going to. Oh. Wait, do you, wait, do you actually think we're getting Snyder back? Yeah, I absolutely do. do I, yeah, I think so. I think I think he'd be. He's going to be thrilled to go around and do Army press because he I, say, I think he's going to do Justice a lot more League. Army press than he has Justice League press. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Uh, I think he's going to be super psyched to talk about this. So. Didn't he say in our interview that he'd come back for Army of the Dead? Yes, he did say that. Now, of course, they all say that. But Tarantino is someone who Tarantino. actually lived up to it. So uh, yeah, we're going to get to Tarantino a little bit when we talk about the Arclight. Um, let's get to the Fast 9 trailer. Jake, you did not see the Fast 9 trailer. Is that correct? <laughs> I'm asking. I'm not pointing it out. So Kevin and I can talk about this. And this is going to uh, screen after, or it's going to air after we uh, are under embargo and we can now talk about it. Uh, this is the latest trailer for F9, which, um, Kev, did you do that press conference? You did the press conference. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that Vin Diesel kept calling it F10.1 and 10.2? What I now here's how I read that. I thought yeah. that they were gonna do they were gonna make a tenth movie and split it into two. Did he mean that this was ten point one? I I thought what you thought first also, but then the <laughs> second time I swear he called this movie. I'm 10. sorry, 1. these movies should not be this complicated. They, they should are. not. They well, shouldn't be this complicated. I think it's cool how that how complicated they are because it, it, what's what is what is the linear order of the because it goes it doesn't it go like one two and then like six three four it's like it's all over the well, place in terms of linear um uh, I don't three now. is th- i know tokyo adrift is before seven prequel right I, I yeah i don't i wish i knew someone's got to figure out the linear the, well anyway let's talk about this trailer um i thought it looked like a lot of fun i thought <laughs> i honestly do think that justin lynn is a filmmaker who really understands this world uh, we had a very long conversation in the text this week with a lot of texts shared uh, where the show sort of splits between um, I think Kevin and I both appreciate the fact that I think the I think the franchise knows exactly what it is. Um, and I think that it okay, delivers. But my question that I pitched to you guys when we were having yes. this text discussion, 
Okay, maybe the franchise knows what it is. Maybe even even the director knows what it is, and yes. we know what it is. Yes. Does Vin Diesel understand what this franchise is? Well, yes. and that's my. I don't think. To, well, you. Well, Kevin, you and I have different <laughs> definitions of what this franchise is. But though. I actually think Dominic Toretto is a good character, like oh. a really well-rounded, really, really, really well-rounded character. The I only thing love... well-rounded about him is the shape of his head. No, I think Toretto, I think Toretto is actually a twenty-year. Legacy character that I think is very interesting. What I movies actually... are you watching? Dom's not even a triangle. Like he doesn't have three sides. <laughs> let alone I, I couldn't disagree more with you guys. I am so in on the characters, the family. I was watching Furious Seven again last night, and just like every scene, I, I care about Tyrese and Ludacris's character. I care about. Paul Walker's character, obviously, I care about Jordana Brewster, I care about Michelle Rodriguez and Vin Diesel's character. I am all in on the Hold family. On. But, but all like, in. so a few years ago, Vin Diesel made a comment that he genuinely thought that, like, one of the Fast movies should have won Best Picture. And Area he 7. truly, truly believed that. First of all, the Rooster Brothers also said that Robert Downey Jr. deserved to win Best Actor for Robert, for uh, Endgame. I mean, people say that I about think, their own movies. I think that there's a much better case... For Robert Downey Jr. getting an Oscar nomination for what he did for Iron Man? Wait a second. You think he deserved an Oscar for Endgame? It's more likely than Fast. It would have been a it would have been a it would have been a career. Yeah, it would have been what he accomplished. Yeah. yeah. I love Downey Jr. Don't get me wrong, he's a phenomenal Iron Man and I I do would let have a conversation at some point later on about how those movies should be considered for Academy Awards. But Vin Diesel saying that is the same thing as the Rooster Brothers saying that Tom Holland deserves an Oscar for Cherry or Downey Jr. deserves an Oscar for Endgame. Also, People Vin, say that about their movies. Vin talks in superlatives. Like, Vin, Vin yeah. is on a level up here that I, that I think is what makes him sort of bizarrely ch- charming. Like, I, think I that agree that's with you. charming about him. I don't think he's... <laughs> I, don't, I don't find him to be like... I, I don't find what he says to be like, like over the top to a point where he's making people feel uncomfortable about like, oh, this should win Best Picture. I think he just really feels passionate I, yes. about the work. I yes. really do. But um, but yeah, get back to the All trailer. Right. Let's get back to the trailer, uh, yeah, which the trailer. is uh, kind of action-packed and leans heavily into the role of John Cena uh, as younger brother Toretto, uh, Jacob Toretto. One of the things that I'm confused about this one is that it feels like it's including a lot of people. Like... The main core cast is there. I, I saw Helen Mirren was there, and I remember that yeah. she's like that she's she had been introduced at one point. She's she's a huge she's one of yeah, the Shaws, she's, right? She's, well, she's Statham, Statham, and, uh, Statham's, and Statham's mom. Yeah, yeah. Was she in prison last time we saw her? She was in prison in Fast Eight. Okay. Yes, and I, I don't know. How, I'm, I'm not, I don't know how she got out, but yes okay yeah so and uh and then Charlize Theron like this is the type of franchise where you see Charlize Theron in a trailer she doesn't she even in prison get in Hobbs and Shaw she was in prison in Hobbs and Shaw is that what it is that's where she was in prison yeah okay and it's like uh, this is like Oscar winner Charlize Theron doesn't even have a line of dialogue in the trailers as far as I remember um and she's just part of this a massive immersive franchise um you know the selling point is the action the selling point is the action with the cars I think Justin Lin does a, a really good job of dialing into like if you're this far along in the Fast and Furious franchise, yeah. like you're bought into what they can Physics do. Physics don't matter. I will and, say that that video that he released of the of the car going through the building into yeah. what I'm assuming oh. there's like a magnet in the truck. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. That yeah. was and, and, like that like even even like like asshole skeptical me will go. 
Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like I feel like it, I feel like it's really cool. One, Justin Lin continues shooting this franchise on film. Um, he shoots uh, partially on film for these films. Also, which is astounding because uh, you would think that this would be a franchise where like you would want to. Though I guess if you think like a lot of these stunts, I'd imagine you really only get one take on, right? Like, yeah. how many chances do you get for like for that that car? ripping through the building how many shots do you get at that i guess i'm well, sorry i didn't mean to interrupt I i'm just thinking about like the multiple takes versus one take thing well look go back to like furious uh fast six or whatever I mean, remember, remember the cars were hitting other cars and flipping up like the, the, the behind the scenes on how they did this they put like a some kind of tube thing for the car to hit it and flip perfectly i mean at the end of the day like i understand that people have uh criticisms about the fast franchise but the work that goes into the action in these films is astounding. Like, and, and at the end of the day, I think that's, you know, I care about the characters. So I'm immersed into it where I actually, it may, it enhances the action for me. It's, at the end of the day, when it comes to Fast and Furious, as much as I love the action scenes, I love the non-action scenes too. So I'm like, like I watched Furious 7 last night and there's a great scene where Vin Diesel goes to visit the rock in the hospital after the rock gets destroyed by Statham. And I love that exchange. I love their dialogue. I, I, and as cheesy as the lines may be, or like there's like a line where he's talking to a character. He goes, words haven't even been invented yet about how he's going to get revenge on somebody. I mean, I don't <laughs> mind that. I think it's, I, it's I, just because I think you can't it, pronounce them, Kevin. No, it's not it. I actually find it awesome it's like a high-end i guess quote-unquote soap opera if you want to call it that oh, with it's incredible a soap opera. yeah for action. sure it's a soap opera yes. and i don't mind that and i think it isn't star wars a soap opera too i mean like, there's, yeah, there's, but it's in space pronounced space so opera space so space opera um, Kev, do you think that john cena will have the same impact that the rock had when he joined the franchise well it's a different character i i, I what i find interesting about cena's character is the toretto connection and i, yeah. I and i and i was one of the things i find interesting about the the way they're positioning this character is dom keeps calling him little brother yeah there's i i i have a feeling there's a bigger story there than just this is simply dominic toretto's brother i think that i think there's gonna be a i think there's gonna be a whole explanation for it as to why we haven't heard about this uh, character for a long time because they have to play into that right like we've been we're 20 well, years into the franchise why haven't we heard about that this i also guy? forgot too when i was writing up the trailer story uh jordana brewster uh is is dom's sister <laughs> so it's his it's well, of course his, it's her brother too. You don't and remember I, the tuna the tuna sandwich scene from the first movie? It's it's incredible. Totally forgot. Dude, totally forgot. I could quote the first movie like anyways, but I know. Uh, I know we'll move on. I'm very excited about this movie. Uh I wish The Rock was in it because I think that he really yeah. kind of elevated the franchise. I I Fast 5 and Fast and Furious 7 are my two favorites and then one obviously. Um but there are scenes in this franchise that I are some of my favorite action scenes of all time. And that shot that Jake's referring to, people go to Justin Lin's Twitter. It was an 8 month prep. It yeah. took them like what, 4 days to shoot it or something and they they destroyed 3 cars just to get a 4 second shot. It's really a, cool. It's a I really mean, cool shot dedication i mean yeah. and, and i think at the end of the day you have to appreciate the filmmaking also sure. justin lynn i'll say i'll mention one more thing I, I think this is really cool when i was in college i studied studied that movie better, better luck tomorrow mm -hmm. um which i think we've all seen on here right better luck tomorrow we uh, gabe mm -hmm. have you seen it so no it's, it's justin lynn's like breakout really movie good. so i don't know if people know this. this is probably more common known than i think but the character the actor who plays han is that sung kang Sung Kang, yeah. So Sung Kang's character in Better Luck Tomorrow 
is the same Han that exists in Fast yeah. and Furious. Yes. And, and so Better Luck Tomorrow is essentially a prequel to Fast and Furious. Yes. So and what's really cool about it is Justin Lin got to carry that character over. So they, it's literally the same character. It's not just the name is the same. It's the same character, the same actor playing him. And I think it's really cool if, you, if, if people out there are fans of Justin Lin and you haven't seen Better Luck Tomorrow, go back and watch that and then watch obviously Han's return in this movie because justice for Han was a big thing on social media. People want this character back. I'm very excited. He's back. And anybody who's like, okay, he died. And now he's coming back. Michelle Rodriguez's character, did the same thing. And I yeah. loved her return. So, so you're right. Tokyo drift takes place, uh, after six, doesn't it? I think right. it's after six before seven. Right. Let me get the exact fast and furious. All right. While you're doing that, we're going to shift over to our, uh, paramount shuffle dates, which are very much, uh, focused on, Tom Cruise, because he has three huge blockbusters coming and we just never get a chance to ever see them. Um, Top Gun moved from July 2nd to November 19th. And we'll get to Mission Impossible in a second, but I want to point that one out first because I think that that's, listen, it's not a huge mistake. Like, people are going to go see it whenever they go see it. But, like, July feels like it's going to be as safe as it's going to be for the and like unless things reverse you know or some of these variants come around and a, 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 a movie like that coming out over the course of the july 4th holiday just seemed like it was tailor-made for tom cruise to bring especially top Gun that back. movie especially that movie and so moving it back to november 19th gives it no real significance like i don't see the point of top gun maverick you know, hitting in November nineteenth. Do you do you see what how terribly poetic the uh, the movie that replaced that slot is? No. What moved into the slot? I believe it's the new Purge movie. Oh, is it really? <laughs> is it so really? it was Purge. Well, Purge Purge movies have a history of tying to the Fourth of July and like they kind do. of being about America. Yeah. And, they had one. Yeah, yeah. And and they. But it's a such a different uh, different uh, yeah. connotation. It I have the chronological order, by the way, just to, to right. clarify. Just to take, right. So the the Fast and the Furious. That was the that's the first one. This is chronologically. That's yeah. one. Too Fast, Too Furious. Then Fast and Furious, which is the fourth one, which is technically three. Right. Then they go to five, then six, then three, okay. then seven, then eight, then nine. You have to give them credit for for building that world and keeping that together. That's pretty insane. And well, like. The, you have to give them That's a little cool. credit for that. And I I, 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 one I thing know, I will I say, they just, did that much work for it. I, I actually think they did. They had a reboot. Really cool. They had a reboot in the middle of their thing. Like the reason that that's that way is because they had four. three and then four. They were like, let's reboot it. And because we wanted like, yeah, but if you go back and watch at I... the end of six, when they tie Statham back into three and then Dom goes to visit uh, the actor who played the lead in but three. It's not uh, like, uh, but it's not like Kevin Feige. Like, like, I know. Yeah, like like they're, just... they're, they're retconning but, because they realize that they messed up. Like, so I don't feel I don't like that's something you really up. get. I think they're just playing around with it. I think I, I think it's cool. But uh, I, I, to clarify I don't think, you, I don't one think thing, you get a pat on the bat like, like you do with Marvel. And Helen Mirren, by the way, was out of prison in eight. She remember she visits Dom in that like or one of the characters in that bar. She's in prison in Hobbs and Shaw. So. Gotcha. Uh, anybody else agree that Top Gun should have stayed? Yeah. Yeah, well, because like like oh, that would have been great to because yeah, like we're kind of already back in a, in a world where you know Godzilla's opening big at the box office, you know, and and uh, yeah, yeah, people are showing they're willing to, and it's only going to get in theory. Hopefully, fingers crossed, as people get vaccinated, it's only going to get better. This was the one delay that made me scratch my head. It didn't make any sense because we are we uh, like especially when they delayed it, which like what last week I think was the was the when yeah. the, when that came out. 
because mm-hmm. you're right, Jake. It's like Godzilla vs. Kong is on its way to $500 million, whatever it's going to make. It's already well over 300 almost close to $400 million worldwide, crushed in the it's United amazing. States, um, even with an HBO Max option. Yeah, people um, have amazing. You would think that by July, especially with how many Americans have been vaccinated by this point, um, that we would be in a space where a movie like Top Gun, even if it doesn't play in full 100% capacity theaters, it could still open over 3,000 theaters, probably close to 4,000, mm-hmm. and maybe do them 50% each, whatever it is. I'm trying to understand why Tom Cruise would move out of the summer. It, does, it doesn't make any sense to me because that I feel like I feel like we're at a time where it's almost like Top Gun could be that movie for well, everybody, it, right? Wait, it okay. only had one week. It was only yeah. That's one. what I'm gonna. That's what I wonder. Ahead, that the Black ahead. Widow one shuffle. Week? Black yeah, well, Widow Black Widow July moved 9th. to July 9th. Oh, then that that makes sense. Oh, wait, so so you think? Do you think? Black wait, when Widow opens fo- July 9th? Yeah, Black Widow. Black well, Widow, Widow force the Top Gun move. I well, that's I think that crazy. would make a little bit of sense. Yeah. Yes, I think that would make I a little mean, sense. The Tom that they didn't want to move forward. Uh, well, because Fast is right there now. They're wedged between F9 and Black Widow. Oh. So F nine's June twenty fifth. So that gets two weeks. Yep, that makes sense because that's the thing. I think this is the underrated topic of conversation that 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 we haven't really dived into as much is the shuffle and how it messed up all the IMAX releases. Yeah. Because these these IMAX releases they get very specific windows. And isn't that kind of what happened with Godzilla? They moved um, Mortal Kombat so they could give Godzilla yes. more Mortal time in IMAX. Back a week. Mortal right. Kombat went back one week. Right. So I think. One of the things I'm really interested in, it has to be this. This has to be the answer as to why Top Gun moved. Because well, well, Top Gun top... deserves a two or three week IMAX run, for sure. I mean, yeah, I'm so excited that, for that movie. And, but it, and in a weird way, I feel like Tom Cruise would be like, we only have a week in IMAX? Yeah, we got to move this thing. Uh, we, we barely, because like, if you said Fast and Furious is June 25th, yeah, and then, then Top Black Gun would have been July what? 9th, July 2nd. Oh, and also no keep. Way. I mean, like, I don't know if this is would at all be a part of it, but you know, I, I think we had all sort of heard some rumblings about like potential press opportunities that were going to be happening uh, around Top Gun, even potentially yeah. even this summer. And you know, a Tom Cruise movie does not come out without Tom Cruise kind of going balls to the wall uh, when it comes to press and sort of what he did. Not just doing press, but like really going. I mean, the last yeah, yeah. time we all spoke to him was in the shadow yeah. of the Eiffel Tower in Paris. And how much of it do you think is? You know, this is a guy who is now famous for being Mr. Mr. COVID protocol, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and you can't turn around and then hold this big, giant, splashy premiere like we all kind of heard was going to be happening. Is there any chance that a part of it was like, hey, let's push it back so we can really do what we want to do in terms I mean, of the, the, the promotional angle of it? Here's what I hope I, they do. It just I makes hope... sense to come out in July, though. It just makes sense. Oh, no, I agree with you. I hope that they make you guys try to ask him questions while doing barrel rolls in like an F-16. <laughs> That would I'm actually just puking, not a bad trying idea, to say. So, Mr. Cruz, <laughs> done it, man. Prepped. Road the Thunderbirds. Yeah, I'm true. You have. Uh, all right. So, by pushing this back uh, for all the reasons that we just sort of brought up, this also affects Tom Cruise's other franchise, which is Mission Impossible. And so now, um, MI7 goes from November 19th, which now has the Top Gun date, uh, all the way back to May 26th, 2022. It is Memorial Day of 2022, and then brace for it, kids. Mission Impossible 8, which I believe this is a two-part story. Yeah. Oh, God, it's going to leave off on such a cool cliffhanger. Is going to go from... So you're going to get MI7 on May 26th, 2022. You're going to get MI8 on July 7th, 2023. Oh, I'm so excited! You're excited? I'm sad oh. to hear that. 
Oh no, I'm just excited. Way. I'm just excited that this. I like. I, I get jacked over that franchise, man. I get freaking no, I know. jacked. I know that that series is tremendous. I'm glad that Macquarie is doing it. Yes, and um, he's a big part of the reason why I am jacked about it. Sure, that for you is what Fast and Furious is for Kevin. Like you, but you I also can love understand. Mas- okay, I love Mission That's Impossible. That's interesting. Though. That's, that's okay. Know you know what? That's yeah. actually a really good comparison because the Mission Impossible films have gotten, I don't want to use the word more ridiculous, but like have they, gotten a little bit more I, like crazy. And that's a really interesting, and, and I and I give it a lot of passes. The Mission films <laughs> are fu- are Fast and Furious-y. They are. Bit, they have become yeah, that. Just, just, they, just good. Like Gabe's offended. <laughs> service to Rebecca Ferguson and the great we, members of the cast of Simon the Mission Impossible franchise. Ben Rames. How about the There's great some... members of the Fast and Furious cast? Kurt Russell, Helen Mirren. Yeah, but do they uh, show yeah. up? Charlotte. Kurt Russell's amazing in the Fast and Mr. Nobody's one of my favorite characters in the Fast and Furious franchise. Scott I, Eastwood. I gotta be honest, up until this moment, I completely forgot Kurt Russell was in the Fast and Furious movie. Dude, I love do you don't remember the scene in the in the seventh one when when he brings Dom to like the lab area and he like offers him a corona? I, I thought it was so good. He offers him a corona. I love that moment. You no, can have like, any beer you want as long yeah, as it's a corona. It's oh my god, I love that callback. This is I love probably that. this is probably too easy. But Kevin, can you name the what are the characters played by Ludacris and Tyrese? Oh, uh, Ludacris. Ludacris. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Tyrese is. Um... Oh, I'm blanking now. Hold on. <laughs> oh my god, I'm blanking now. Even I know what they are, and I didn't look. Wait, no, 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 no. I just watched Seven last night. Because my point being, over the Hold course on. of the movies, they have just been reduced to Ludacris and Tyrese. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, like. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I mean, I can't name every single character in the franchise. Um, I can tell you, I can tell you Dominic Toretto. I can tell you Brian. I can tell you. I mean, obviously, I can get all into like the main people. But like Letty, yeah, Letty, Letty obviously, yeah. I'm. Just, I don't know if I can. Well, I guess it's Hobbs. But to be fair, I have trouble remembering all of your names, so I, I can't, okay. you can't really knock me because I, okay. I couldn't name a lot of Mission Impossible characters' names. What is Rebecca Ferguson's character's name in Mission Impossible? Rebecca Ferguson. Gabe. Nah, I see. Uh, see? Uh, ironically, it's ludicrous. It's Ilsa. Touche. It's Ilsa. It's Ilsa. It's and Ilsa. I don't, I don't love Mission Impossible. You guys love Mission Impossible. I, well, I their like names Ilsa. in the Fast and Furious franchise are Roman and Taj. To Roman, and, yeah, Taj. Yeah. Okay. To answer your question. All right, let's get to this weekend movies. Right. Uh, there's a film called SAS Red Notice that's opening. Anyone yep. seen it? Mm. Nope. Uh, yeah, Jake's like, yep, there is. Uh, there's a Sebastian Stan romantic comedy called Monday. Is this the one with his butt? Did you guys uh, see this yesterday? No, I know. There's a reason media? why I said that. So he yesterday, put on Instagram, didn't he? I think the review yeah, should just end there. The one with his butt. It was so. <laughs> in my defense, it was a huge trending topic yesterday. So Sebastian Stan has a very niche audience, and he tweeted <laughs> out. It's massive. Massive. It's a very no, niche, it's massive. It's massive. He, he, it's a niche, large audience. Is what oh I my mean. god! Like, if you mention but, him on social media, it blows up. That's what I'm saying, though. But my grandma doesn't know who he is. You know what I mean? Like he's like he's oh, yeah, found yeah, like yeah. some strange like large fan base that's like it feels niche anyway so he posts this photo on his instagram of his butt and that immediately becomes a trending topic on twitter like that's his the bare butt or like yeah. in like pants yeah no it's it's for this movie like he, that the only reason i know what this is is because of the of his instagram it's kind of smart marketing i guess he it's <laughs> him like with a jacket on and he opens it up and he's like showing whoever is in front of him something yeah. clearly and you just see his butt cheeks, and that's that's the photo. And that ended up being 
a massive trending topic just because he posted a picture of his butt. That's how that like mean. ridiculously famous he is. And that's the only reason I know what Monday is, <laughs> to that be is, honest with you. That is not America's ass by any way, mm-hmm. shape, or form. Thank you very much. Oh, Chris Evans should have replied to that with that. Why would yes. he have not done that? Did you guys see the bit that uh, Josh Horowitz did? Really smart. God, listen. Oh, I hate oh, the text. Uh, uh, the text. Yeah, text. Wait, Josh Horowitz, if you're like, I, you know, not to promote another, but Josh Horowitz is a really great interviewer and uh yeah. and is actually yeah. a, an advocate supporter of this show so i don't have a problem supporting his show he does a, he does a lot of really great bits um that, that bit uh, was hilarious yeah it was great it, sean explain it because i, I talk so, over yeah you. i do not tip my hat to any other podcast necessarily um but josh is extremely talented and he had evans uh, no he had uh, uh sebastian stan and anthony mackey on promoting falcon and winter soldier and he essentially asked both of them if you each texted Chris Evans simultaneously, who would he respond to first? <laughs> and and they tried it. They tried it during the show, and then uh, Evans hit them up. I think he got Mackie first, yeah, and then immediately replied to Sebastian Stan. But he, he recognized that he was definitely in a bit kind of yeah. thing, yeah. And uh, and it played because really did well. he text Stan like, "Sorry, Mackie got to me first. Yeah, 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 yeah something yeah. like that. Yeah. So really That's clever, funny. really funny. Anyway, so um, the last. Uh, film that's opening this week is from earlier uh, in the episode, which is Ben Wheatley's uh, movie in the earth. Uh, and it is, um, it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's good. Uh, I, I, it's not necessarily my type of, of film. I appreciated it for what it is. It's definitely, he wrote it for in 15 days while he was in a uh, pandemic, while he was in quarantine, did it as an exercise to essentially make sure that he was still being creative uh, it encapsulates a lot of so there's a virus, but it's not called Corona. It's not called a uh, COVID-19 uh, or coronavirus. It's just something that has wiped out uh, large portions of the popularity. And so people are trying to ease back into life, uh, but they're under a lot of different protocols. <clears throat> and these scientists are at a station in the woods and they have to get to a place um, for a reason that is not necessarily explained very well, but they have to traipse through the woods in order to get there. And while they are going through the woods, they encounter people who have taken to the woods during this uh, virus outbreak and set up uh, little live little lives for themselves in the woods. And of course, it's really bad for our scientist characters as they're trying to get through. Uh, it leans into how ominous a forest setting can be. Uh, it's beautifully shot. Ben Wheatley obviously knows how to film uh, fantastically. We talked a bit in the interview, as you guys heard about, he uses strobe lights in a way because some of these people in the woods are using audio uh, and and strobe lighting in order to, like, there's a, there is a sort of witch legacy at place for the people in the woods. And so he explores a little bit of that. Um, but it's definitely a film that you could just tell was shot under bizarre protocols. Like it's it's something he wanted to do to sort of flex his muscles in between big budget uh, productions. He's coming off of Rebecca, uh, the Netflix film that he did, and he's gearing up for the Meg 2. And so um, I'll, I'm going to treat it like that, like an experiment that he got together with a bunch of his friends and shot a micro budget horror film that, that looks great, but probably didn't hook me as well as he wanted it. Uh, I have a question for you guys that I sure. wanted to kind of pitch based on sort of the idea of him writing this during quarantine. Um, you know, when, when the quarantine, when the pandemic began, there was sort of this joke going on, right? That like uh, Shakespeare wrote King Lear in a, in the middle of a quarantine. So like, what are you going to do? What, what, what is your project that you're going to be? And there have been several projects that have come out of us being in pandemic, whether they're pandemic related or not. It's just a result of someone sitting down and writing. They're like, well, I'm stuck at home. So I might as well do something. What do you guys think is the best 
movie related thing to come out of the, to, to be the result of us being locked down for a year. Cause my answer would probably be host. Um, I don't know that I have a ton to compare to. Um, there was the, the like, Anne Hathaway movie. Yeah. Lockdown. That was fine. I'm trying to think of, yeah, probably. I mean, I'm trying to think of, I don't know any other. I'm not, yeah, I'm having a hard time thinking about other ones. Um, Malcolm and Marie was actually probably the best. Yeah, that's a great that's a great answer too. Malcolm Marie's another one. I don't know. It's a really good question. I'm not quite sure that I've seen it yet. I don't Sean, know that I've you... seen the one that's that's come out of, you know, everybody being locked down like this yet. You say host, Jake? Yeah, I would say host. I, but you guys know I love that movie. Sean, did you happen to ask Ben his favorite his about his favorite cereal? Uh, ben Wheaties. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Wheatleys. I, I so yeah. rarely get them, so it's always a great source of pride for me. When That's I a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> Wheatleys. <laughs> for those of you who are watching on YouTube, you're really missing a moment right now. <laughs> All right, uh, this week's blend I'm game. so happy you got that. You got it right away it was, too. It was great. Uh, right. This is an Oscar Isaac blend. The <laughs> wonderful, uh, talented Oscar Isaac. Uh, Kevin, I'm going to start with you. What'd you go with for your pick for your favorite Oscar Isaac film? I, I have a hard time believing that all three of us are going to pick the, the uh, anything different than what I'm about to say. Okay. Are you serious, Jake? Really? Okay. I mean, I feel like I, I feel like the ultimate. Oh, I know Jake's. I know what Jake's going to say. All right, Jake's gonna go with something. I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'm gonna write. I'm gonna write this down. I'm gonna write this down. I don't want to give it away, and then I'm gonna sh prove that I knew it I hope, before I hope we get to it. You're writing down the Last Jedi. This actually might be. This Jake actually might be Jake's. This might be Jake's and Sean's answer, actually. Oh, interesting. All right, I've written it down. I'm putting the paper top of my coffee cup. All right. All right. My choice is Ex Machina, um, only because. Clearly, the dance is one of the greatest things that's ever happened to cinema. It's genuinely <laughs> iconic. It is one of the greatest moments in cinema history. I love that scene. Um, I also think that movie is just brilliant. Um, thematically, uh, dramatically, character arc-wise, uh, I think him and Donald Gleason are phenomenal in that film. Alicia Vikander is incredible in that movie. That movie is so much better than it really deserved to be, considering the budget's lower and it felt big. Mm -hmm. um, her effects were incredible. Um, but going back to Oscar Isaac specifically, there's just something about that character that really struck me. I, 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 it really, to me, was the defining moment. I was like, that guy is a phenomenal actor. Yeah. Um, you know, he's obviously been in the Star Wars franchise. You know, clearly people know who he is from that. But to be honest with you, the moment, the moment I watched Ex Machina was the moment I realized that Oscar Isaac had insane talent. Um, so I am all in on him, uh, whatever he wants to do in terms of performing because Ex Machina was my, like, it, I became a fan when I watched Ex Machina. Um, so that's my go-to, no question. Like when that, when this got posed uh, the other week about, uh, our favorite Oscar Isaac movie, it was, it's the only one that come, came to mind. Um, so that's, I, I mean, everyone I feel like has already seen it. We all know the dance gif you posted on your Twitter today, Sean. So ex machina, no question. And, uh, that's mine. So I think I know both of yours. Well, now I got to go to Jake to see if it lives up to what Kevin wrote down. Uh, I'm going with inside Lewin Davis. 
There it is. It is also also my choice. I knew it! (laughs) I knew it! I was was dead on! Well done, well done. I I chose it, and I'll just talk a little bit because I want Sean to talk on it as well. Not Force Awakens? I'm really surprised. No. Well, here's why. Okay. Whenever I I choose my blend picks, it's got to be a combination of performance and then also like the quality of the movie and also their their impact on the movie okay and i feel like inside lewin davis is the perfect blend for all three of those um i think it's honestly i think it's his best performance i think it's a better performance than than ex machina and i think more i think inside lewin davis depends more on him like that movie anchors (laughs) uh, is anchored upon him you know and and I, i genuinely love that movie i've always loved this idea of, of of this movie because it's so much of the antithesis of like chasing your dreams movie because so much of like the chasing your dreams movies are like if you if you work hard enough and you struggle and you fight you'll get there and you'll succeed and what i always loved about this coen brothers movie is like sometimes you don't like not not there are a lot of people that want it really bad and a lot of people that scrape and fight and struggle and do everything you're supposed to do everything the movies tell you to do and then sometimes you just don't make it it's and that's like just soul. that's just how life is in, in a lot of ways yeah Yep. Um and and so I just I I loved I love that movie I actually think it's weirdly Daenerys loves it I think it's a weirdly <laughs> underrated uh, Coen Brothers movie I think I think that I think the worst thing they have going against them is they make too many consistently good movies so that a good one just kind of gets lost in the wake like like this one yeah. um but yeah it's it's uh yeah, I I couldn't as much as I love Ex Machina and as, even as much as I do love him in in the Force Awakens and and even the other Star Wars films. Um, I, I I couldn't pick anything over inside Lewin Davis. It's a great choice, though. I mean, at, at yeah. the end of the day, it's a phenomenal. Yeah, and, film. The, and I feel the same way about Ex Machina. So good, it's very yeah. good. Yeah, Ex Machina is terrific. Um, I almost went with uh, also a film that he did with Jessica Chastain called A Most oh, Violent oh, Year. Oh, it's a great movie. Mm. Terrific film that does not get the attention that it deserves. Yeah. And mm. so, if people haven't seen that movie, please check it out. But Jake's uh, Jake's so right about Lewin Davis. Um, I went with it because it's largely at rest on his shoulders. Um, he rises to the challenge. This is much like what Kevin was saying with the Ex Machina. This is the one where, when I watched him, I was just like, oh my God, this guy's got it. Like, he's just that good. Uh, he obviously plays his, plays guitar and sings in this as well, too, uh, and is so incredibly talented. And there is a scene that I will always, I'll, I'll never forget it. It might be one of the most impactful scenes in a Coen Brothers movie, which is when he gets finally to this club that he's been, you know, on this sojourn to get to. It's incredibly uh, powerful emotional journey and he plays the song for the guy and it ends up being like it's such a pivotal point of that movie because you're on this journey with him and so when he gets the chance to audition you're like well the song better be amazing and then he plays it and there's even a moment where he sort of takes a breath like a, a beat right before and i like to think because i rewatched it that he like changed his mind and thought like i was gonna play something but now i'm gonna play something else and i'm, I'm gonna play it from my heart and he plays this song and it's it's truly an incredible song and he's amazing in it. And at the end, the guy just says, like, I don't see any money in this. And that is such the cynical Joel and Ethan Cohen answer, you know, to to an artist who is. It's F. Murray Abraham, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, an artist has just bared their soul and the industry turns around and is just like, I don't see I don't see a lot of money in this, <laughs> which I'm sure the Coens have been told numerous times. And so. uh yeah, it's weird that Lewin Davis is, is kind of an underrated Cohen's film. People don't 
I feel like I feel like it gets mentioned a decent amount, but like uh, it's it's not nowadays. Up there with like Lebowski within and, and film others. Twitter, it does, but outside of like for sure, it's nowhere near the stratosphere of like a Lebowski or a Fargo or a No Country for Old Men or even like Oh Brother Art Thou. Yeah, if you had to say the what is the definitive Coen Brothers movie, Fargo. The you wouldn't say Lebowski. I would say Fargo. I, I think. As many people as do love Lebowski, I also feel like it's still a bit of an acquired taste. I feel like Fargo yeah. is much more accessible. And, and also that's, that dark style of humor, it's one I of feel those like, two. represents... I mean, No Country for Old Men, even though it's like their Oscar film, that's yeah. so much darker than what they normally... Normally their stuff has a sense of humor. No Country, no Country for Old Men is the best movie they've made, though. Yes, I actually would agree with that on, upon a rewatch yeah. I had recently. Yeah. Yeah. I it's recently incredible. rewatched Blood Simple. Oh, oh really? Oh. God, it's and it's so cool to see an early film like that and then just see the seeds that and I mean like I mean Fargo is birthed from Blood Simple. Like just yeah. just like violence you know from coming from misunderstandings and just oh it's just it's fantastic. Fargo is those... devastating, by the way. Like I that the path that H Macy goes down in that movie, and just the the, the hole just keeps getting deeper and deeper, and it's just yeah. mounting, and you feel that it's such so, so great. My my favorite piece of trivia coming out of that movie is, I guess, the year that it came out, because it starts with the title card that like this this really happened, which it didn't. Mm. It's it's a it's a right. fictional story, but I guess <laughs> that year there were a lot of people who thought one that, that it really happened. Also, there really wasn't like the internet wasn't as big of a thing so you couldn't automatically get on the internet and see that it, you know and i guess people w actually went out and were like looking for the money oh really? because the money's <laughs> the money is left out there right um so. and so i guess yeah so i guess people actually went out looking for the money thinking that it was a real story mm. uh fargo is one of those movies that i did not like the first time i watched it oh interesting i, I absolutely had to warm up to it and figure out what it and mm -hmm. i think largely because like you're almost supposed to be annoyed by the characters mm -hmm. a lot of times and so i oh, yeah. was deeply annoyed by the characters and i was like i it don't was real spend funny any looking. more time with them <laughs> so, so, wait, so sean what would you to kevin's question what would you say is the definitive coen brothers movie not the best but the, like the definitive i feel like i'm gonna show somebody a big lebowski before i show them anything else really i, I feel like it's either lebowski or fargo i feel like it's down to those two the only reason why i'm michael lebowski is because they have such a deep tie to jeff bridges um yeah it's just lebowski has everything the coen they brothers deep, are they have a deep tie to francis mcdormand too well one of them does isn't Joel married to her? Yeah, yes, right? I think that's my point. No, I don't what would you say? Yeah. I, I can't believe I'm on an island by myself thinking it's Fargo. I don't know. Fargo's not it's, a bad answer at all. It's, one of it's the a two. great answer. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those two. Yeah, you guys are right. I think it depends on... They're pretty multifaceted. So mm -hmm. if we're going with definitive, where it's like... If we were doing the two film challenge that we do sure. on Real Then we Cream, would pick those two. Out, we would pick those two. Yeah. But what's the one you would show to somebody to show who the Coen brothers are? If I were to pick one, I would pick Lebowski because I think it would. But again, this is a different context than quote unquote sure. definitive. I would think if I showed them Lebowski, I could easily convince them to watch another one. You know what I mean? Good point. But you yeah. know what that very strips away? I think them and Clooney are fantastic. Like I, I well, you got to keep them. Yeah, but okay. But I would also argue that them and Clooney have only made one good movie. Oh, I love um, Burn After Reading. 
Oh, I love Burn After Reading. Intolerable also, cruelty. Too. I love Intolerable I love Burn cruelty. After Reading. I've yeah. tried. Burn After Reading like feels like Burn a short short film. Yeah, I, I like. I like, yeah, I like Burn After Reading. I love, obviously, love O Brother Art Thou. I have I have tried to convince myself that I like Intolerable Intolerable Cruelty. Was it intolerable? It, it, it's, it's not. I just <laughs> and, and I and I like his character in it i think his character is fun to watch yeah um and then hell caesar i i just i couldn't i couldn't get myself oh, i like I, hell caesar i, 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 hell love, caesar. I, I love hell caesar my i i i've rewatched the 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 scene i think one of their best scenes is the scene between alden aaron reich and ray fines where yeah. he can't oh, yeah. pronounce <laughs> uh a tour that did not so simple yeah. and he can't yeah, yeah, like yeah. he's like what, what are you doing with your hands put your hands down put your hands like oh, just, <laughs> I, I think that is just brilliant See, well, I think Intolerable Cruelty is in the same boat. Sorry, Sean. In, 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 in the same boat as Lady Killers. No, 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 no. That, I was just, just going to say Lady Killers is the one that I can't watch at all. And mm. I think Intolerable Cruelty is. Which, which is weird because Hanks has such a great like eye and ear for comedy. And you would think he would fit into a cult. I, I wish they'd give him another shot because Lady Killers ain't I it. Wish they would. Yeah, I wish they he would. He had to be a certain kind of actor to work with the Coens, I think. I, I, I and, think and, Tom I, Hanks I don't know. could do it. I don't, I don't know if Tom, I think Tom Hanks might be weirdly enough too famous hmm. to be uh, it's such i know it's a strange comment but because like he's they've had famous people in i would be obviously but I would you know i've got more to in, say about this actually i would watch uh, <laughs> we started this Larry discussion Crown. with oscar isaac i want you to know. <laughs> we're still on oscar isaac all right i mean uh, lewin davis brought us here it makes sense jeff mayman uh guy anthony and several others went with inside lewin davis michael breen threw some love toward triple frontier uh carrie uh chose Ridley Scott's Robin Hood, which I didn't even realize that he was in. And Experiment 13 went with Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch. Uh, thank you very much for everybody wait, who participated. Wait, he said Robin Nobody said Ex Machina? Oh, I'm sorry. Wait. Yeah. Hold on. I cut that off. <laughs> hold on. I was uh, like, well, what? Just, Kevin Zen, McCarthy did. Someone named Zen Jake uh, said Ex Machina. Well, so. thank you, Zen Jake. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm actually surprised I'm the only one. For next right. week... Um, Someone who I swore we did, but apparently we have not done before. Hashtag Michael Giacchino blend. Good luck to you guys choosing Wait, your favorite Michael Giacchino blend. Before. No, you've just Gabe interviewed him on the show before. We did interview him on the show. Yes. Hey, Gabe, can I ask your favorite Cobra, or your, your uh, favorite oh, Oscar, I would like Oscar Isaac movie? Oscar. I would like to know your favorite Oscar Isaac. Oh, I didn't look into this. Uh, I'm going to miss one. I'm going to miss one. Um, I want to say... Wow, you know, I, he doesn't count look, for Annihilation, does he? At the, look, no, he does not. He's, no. he I mean, I, I, if, if any of the other two guys were to say Annihilation, I'd be like, is, really? I revisited Annihilation. It's better than I remembered. It's is fantastic. he Natalie Portman's husband? Yes. Yeah, he's, he is comes he? back and he's all messed up. But he's fantastic. Oh, right, 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 right. Um, okay. I would probably say Ex Machina. I love that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Clearly, okay. I love Alex Garland. <laughs> So for next yeah. week, uh, Michael Chikino Blend. You can use social media or you can email us at realblend.com. Drop us a review there as well, too. No review this week, but you can go to Apple Podcasts if you want to leave us a review of the show, positive or negative. We will promise to read it here on the show. It helps us grow out the Real Blend army, obviously, and um, and keep people listening to the show. Make sure you share with a movie-loving, movie-loving, movie-loving friend or family member uh, and tell them about Real Blend because we have a whole backlog of... Uh, episodes that they can listen to, a whole catalog of things you can get into, as well as a back catalog of Real Blend premium episodes. Our next one is going to be special movie theaters that we have visited uh, and 
I think we're going to share a couple of Arclight stories as well, too, based on the fact that that might not be coming back. But we'll see. Um, I like this topic. Sign up for the Real Blend Premium premium at going to bit.ly backslash Premium, And we'll be back next week with a full-on new episode. Uh, until then, follow Jake at Jake's Takes. Follow Kevin at Kevin McCarthy TV. Give me a follow at Sean underscore O'Connell. And Gabe Kovach is at at Gabe Kovach, right? Yeah, perfect. And at Real Blend. See you next week. Bye, guys. Hubie. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba.